Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. I take it that you may well have seen the same stories that I've seen, heard the same stories concerning the coronavirus in communist China. Coronavirus China, communist China, which began in Wuhan and an area of great population. Wuhan and the cities surrounding it, I believe 13, have a population of something in excess of 30 million people. And they have these incredible markets that deal in wild animals, bats and all manner of strange creatures. But that is where this terrible virus, epidemic, pandemic had its beginning. Communist China, unlike the overwhelming majority of the world, has an extreme capacity for shutting down all communications, for exercising enormous censorship, extremely effective censorship of the airwaves of the Internet. And they have succeeded in shutting out communications concerning the terrible massacre that took place in communist China long ago. But they have exercised this same censorship pertaining to this virus. And perhaps you saw or heard about this doctor, Li Wenyang, who had tried to warn China about the virus. That was before any officials had acknowledged the outbreak. There was a revolt across much of communist China concerning the government censorship after his death was announced. Now, when I saw and heard of his death, I couldn't help but think that there was a high probability that his death was not merely from being exposed to the virus. But I can't help but think that it's more likely that he was infected with the virus deliberately, that he was murdered. Perhaps not, but absolutely possible. And my suspicions grew when I heard, read concerning 
a couple men who have vanished. One, a young man, Chen Quixi, who describes himself a citizen journalist, or did, and the other, a businessman. A Mr. Fang. Well, these two, they had been documenting the crisis in Wuhan, making videos, and they were going out over the Internet without being filtered, without being censored. And now these two have disappeared. Chen Quixi. He ceased to have contact with his friends two days after his last broadcast, if you will. And then Mr. Fang less than two weeks following the disappearance of Chen, he disappeared. He had put out his most recent video, a 40-minute video. And he had seen many, many body bags inside of a van outside of a Wuhan hospital These two men, they're not seeking to overthrow the communist regime, even though that would be a very good thing, being that it has been the most murderous regime of all time. Exceeding Adolf Hitler's Nazi Reich, exceeding Stalin's communist regime, the communist Chinese regime, has been responsible for slaughtering more even than Stalin's regime, which slaughtered many more than Hitler's regime. But our president in the State of the Union address spoke of having dealt strongly with communist China, and that as a result of that, that they respected him, they respected the United States of America, they were going to stop doing bad things, and he believed that he had established the best relationship with communist China ever, even though he did not use the term communist, of course. What (laughs) self-delusion. But... Meanwhile, speaking of self-delusion, in dealing with the evil, I spoke in the previous program about a couple outstanding young men, each age 28. Both of them were Mexican, Americans, or whatever term you care to use. Both men had attained to the United States Special Forces and they were serving 
in Afghanistan at the pleasure of the president, helping to train the Afghani troops when they were murdered by an Islamist, undoubtedly Taliban, member who used a machine gun to spray the United States forces there, also succeeded in killing, murdering an Afghan soldier. Afghani soldier. But here's such a short time after that, this great announcement that the United States of America has succeeded in forging an agreement for a seven-day reduction in violence. In the previous program, I mentioned that they were seeking a reduction in violence. In other words, for the Taliban to murder fewer American servicemen. And they hammered out this agreement. Outstanding. They forged this extraordinary, groundbreaking agreement in which the Islamist Taliban agree to a seven-day reduction in violence in which they will murder fewer Americans. And then that, after that successful reduction in violence, not cessation, no, reduction in violence, that that will be followed by 10 days of all Afghan peace talks that is within 10 days of that one week of reduced murders of American troops, this wonderful all-Afghan series of peace talks will commence within no more than a week and a half following the one week of reduction in violence. It doesn't say anything about reduction of violence in that 10-day span after the end of the seven-day reduction in violence. Oh, but it's outstanding. Yes, and we have United States Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to thank for this, along with Defense Secretary Mark Esper. Really outstanding. Great work, men. Great work. The lives lost, the bloodshed of outstanding American soldiers, it's well worth it because we're going to achieve reduction of murders of Americans for a week by the Islamist Taliban. Just outstanding. But in the previous program, I mentioned about American troops in Syria, in Islamist Syria, being fired upon by the citizenry, being pelted with stones and fired upon. And it resulted, and this was an American army convoy that was going through a checkpoint. The checkpoint was described as being an army checkpoint. Well, this is why I always prefer to allow the dust to settle. Because lo and behold, it was not a U.S. Army checkpoint 
contrary to how it was described, (laughs) but rather it was a checkpoint manned by forces loyal to Islamist dictator, President for Life, Bashar al-Assad. And they are backed by Putin's Russian regime. That's who was manning that checkpoint. And it could have gotten incredibly bad for the Americans. Another Mogadishu. One vehicle was stopped with blown out tire from the being fired upon from the fireworks, so to speak, but not to be confused with Fourth of July fireworks. And another one crashed, another vehicle crashed, another one was bogged down in the mud, and these soldiers are outside of their vehicles and they're being pelted with stones and being fired upon with small arms. Small arms can sound very deceptive. Small arms includes machine guns, submachine guns, and so forth. But great stuff. Again, American troops in peril thanks to this nation's leadership. Not to put too heavy a blame on President Trump, this has been going on. One administration after the next, after the next, after the next. It has been a continuation of putting Americans in harm's way for the most insanely foolish of things, proud, vainglorious of things. I couldn't believe it when I first heard about it, about nation-building about attempting to create democracies where there is Islamist tyranny, not Christianity. Yes, there are Christians there, but they are a tiny minority. And instead, there are these Islamist terrorist organizations which enslave the entire nations, and then we are going to craft a democracy for them, even though... They are diametrically opposed to that, viciously opposed to that. Brilliant stuff. It's not something that can be done. (laughs) And given the history of that region, of Central Asia, Afghanistan, yes, but all of Central Asia, the idea of being able to bring in Western democracy, which is what it is. Democracy is Western. And to bring that into Central Asia and impose that gently, beneficently, benevolently, insane. And to sacrifice so very, very, very many American servicemen for that cause, that deranged cause, is outrageous and inexcusable. Moving on, the presidential race of 2020. No, not on the Republican side. Pretty cut and dried there. But on the Democrat side, there are many moving pieces, right? 
many hopefuls, many aspirants. Uh, Sometimes they are referred to as contenders, but the question is how many are really contenders and how many are pretenders? One minute they're contenders, one minute they're front runners, and the next it's questionable whether they will stay in the race. So to call them contenders, I think, is a bit overblown. I refer to them as instead aspirants, political aspirants. And they, many of them, they called for greatly increased gun control. Greatly increased gun control. Following in the steps, the footsteps of Adolf Hitler, of Joseph Stalin, of Mao Zedong, of all tyrannical leaders. Gun control, gun registration, gun confiscation, disarming the citizenry. Critically important. And they did so on the anniversary, the Valentine's Day anniversary of that massacre that took place at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And just outstanding. And a whole host of them, of course. Joe Biden, I didn't see his his quotes or whatever, but you know he's in there. He's heavily on this. But Bernie Sanders, Liz Warren, Petey Dukakis Buttigieg, otherwise known as Buttigieg. And Mikey Dukakis, foul, vile, lewd, profane, Bloomberg. Not that he's necessarily more so than (laughs) Buttigieg, but in terms of what's out there in the blogosphere, what he is known for, uh, it has been very profane, very lewd, profane, vile, crude, what have you, for a long, long, long time. But he finally is where he belongs. He finally is in the Democrat Party where he belongs. But gun control, that will solve it. That will do it. Perhaps you heard about a 14-year-old girl who was viciously attacked by a big, strong, handsome man of color who severely wounded her by slashing her in the face. This took place in Michael Bloomberg's Manhattan, Upper Manhattan. Two girls were riding a Metropolitan Transit Authority bus home from school. And an argument broke out. Now, first, these who are arguing with them are described as a group of girls. Described that way twice. A group. Not two, but a group of girls. They are later described as unidentified women. 
Well, when these two girls got off of the bus, they were confronted by that group of unidentified women, a group of unidentified men, and the 17-year-old girl's cell phone was stolen by an unidentified individual. And the 14-year-old girl was attacked by this man of color. And I'm sure the entire, both groups, were people of color. But he slashed her face. She underwent surgery, emergency surgery, for the wounds, plural, that she sustained to her face. This 14-year-old girl. It hasn't been shown, it hasn't been described, but I suspect, and it's only a suspicion, I don't know it to be true, I suspect that the 14- and 17-year-old girls were not of color. No firearms involved, no guns. Oh, gun control will just, it's just a panacea. It's going to solve everything. Meanwhile, along the same lines, a 14-year-old of color, male of color, Rashan Weaver, was just arrested for slaughtering an 18-year-old girl, a lovely 18-year-old girl, not of color. She was attacked on December 11th, 2019. He and an accomplice, and there were others around as well, this was in Morningside Park, attacked her, attempted to rob her. She insisted on holding on to her precious cell phone. He stabbed her multiple times, including in the heart. She still unbelievably, unimaginably, she managed to stagger out of that park after they had left her. And she bled to death on the sidewalk. But what I found curious, among other things, one of the things I found curious about this, was that the criminal complaint described this Rashan Weaver as acting alone and with another defendant. And that they, at knife point, committed and attempted to commit kidnapping, arson, rape in the first degree, criminal sexual act in the first degree, sexual abuse in the first degree, and aggravated sexual abuse. And yet he and his accomplice have not been charged with any of those crimes, those formerly capital crimes. Very strange. Only facing second-degree murder. Felony murder, intentional murder, 
and robbery charges. And he will be tried in criminal court as an adult. So at least there's that. But there were statements from the New York Police Department Commissioner Dermot Shea But I'm just going to excerpt the very last words concerning this destroyer and or destroyers. That person will face justice in a court of law. No, he won't. We do not have justice in the United States of America. It doesn't matter how many puppets say so. There is no justice. Meanwhile, Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr. Does that name ring a bell? Cyrus Vance? (laughs) Cyrus Vance Jr. He said, quote, This arrest is a major milestone on the path to justice for Tessa Majors. End quote. The lovely... 18-year-old college student at Barnard College in New York City. This arrest is a major milestone on the path to justice. No, there's no justice for her. There will be no justice for her. There is no justice for the murdered, for the destroyed. But God commands that those responsible for these evils be executed. Of course, we are so advanced. We are so progressive. We are so enlightened that we don't believe in that. That's inhumane, really. Far more humane to arrest these destroyers, put them in prison for a little while, enable them to become more skillful in this type of crime and that type of crime, allow them to watch vicious, ruthless pornography so they can keep fresh, (laughs) fuel their, their passions, and then loose them, release them. Right? Let them loose on the innocents who are prevented, systematically prevented from even attempting to defend themselves by gun control laws. There is no group of citizenry in this nation that gun control laws hurts more than women, young women, young mothers, young wives, Mothers, wives, women, elderly women, you name it. There is no group in this nation that is more victimized by not being permitted to defend themselves to carry self-defense firearms than women. Oh, but it's the cause celeb of the Democrat Party who are always fighting for women. 
fighting for babies to be able to be slaughtered, any and every baby. Oh, but let's have it be, you know, safe but rare. Right? Instead of, instead of two million times a year, only one and a half million times a year. Instead of one and a half, only one and a quarter. Safe but rare. Well, what a pity about this young woman, Tessa Majors. But hopefully, this soon-to-be 15-year-old will be kept away from the innocence for many years, probably not. Meanwhile, permit me to say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, that is on me. That is due to me. That is my fault. Speaking of another innocent, preyed upon so recently. A dear little girl, not of color, six-year-old Faye Swetlick. She was playing outside of her home, in her front yard, in South Carolina, when a neighbor, a 30-year-old man, kidnapped her, raped her, and murdered her. The only good thing about this story is that he killed himself after he murdered her. My question is, why couldn't he have done that instead of murdering her? But, Meanwhile, police are treating the girl's death as a homicide. Really? Oh, that is so enlightened of them. Yes. This was in broad daylight. And sometime around 3.45 p.m., her mother realized that she was missing. And she searched frantically for her and then finally called 911 at 5 p.m. But in the meantime, she had gone to the neighbors' houses, checked everywhere, and she said everybody that answered the doors was outside searching for her. But of course, if she had called the police... Immediately at 3.45, do you imagine that they would have immediately started searching for her? Perhaps they would have. But in so many parts of this nation, they would not have. This little girl had been missing for how long? 15 minutes? 30 minutes? (laughs) But this poor, darling little innocent girl 
six years of age. Slaughtered. Meanwhile, in the wonderful state of Oregon, the wonderful enlightened state of Oregon, Oregon used to be a conservative state, politically conservative, a long, 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 long time ago. But then, it wasn't. Portland, the large city in the state, is very left-wing. And it dominates and controls the state. And Oregon has had a colorful history with the likes of, oh well, (laughs) Bob Packwood, who was Republican, leftist, Republican, vile, lewd, profane, Bob Packwood. They've got other, you know, notorious representatives, whether U.S. senators or Congress people or what have you. But anyway, in Roseburg, Oregon, at Roseburg Regional Airport, which is in Douglas County, the great state of Douglas County, Oregon. And this is not something akin to Portland, okay? This... This is more country. But at Roseburg Regional Airport, something showed up, stood out as being suspicious. It probably wouldn't have been noticed if it had been somewhere else. But at this airport, it caught the eye of the Roseburg Police Department. They investigated and found 41-year-old Maurice Pierre Hirth of Suisun City, California, who had multiple warrants out for his arrest. He had kidnapped three girls that he had in his vehicle after he resisted. The girls were taken from a Seattle, Washington area youth group home. They're all under 18 years of age. Based on evidence gathered, Maurice was charged with three counts each of trafficking in persons compelling prostitution, and first-degree custodial interference, as well as one count of encouraging child sex abuse in the first degree. There was no mention of any charge of kidnapping, no mention of any charge of rape. And yet, the evidence that they found caused them to bring these charges Compelling prostitution. Rape proceeds prostitution. Trafficking, and so forth. But it reminds me of dear old Portland. Dear old Portland 
a beautiful place on the outside, but so much that is not beautiful there in Portland. I don't recall specifically the time that I saw this, nor can I quote you with any degree of precision. But going back more than 30 years ago, I remember being appalled at the mayor of the Rose City stating to this effect that from that point forward, the police were going to focus their attention concerning prostitution on the customers. They were going to ignore the pimps, the prostitutors, the kidnapper, rapist, prostitutors, traffickers, who would pick these girls up that were runaways and whatever, that would come into bus stations and what have you, that would lure them or outright kidnap them, rape them, force them into prostitution. They're going to ignore them and just focus on the customers. Ignore the enslavers, the destroyers. An enlightened approach. It was at least 30 years ago, but honestly, it had to be more than that. So it was somewhere in the vicinity of 35 years ago up to approaching 30 years ago. Three and a half decades to three decades ago. In wonderful, uber-left, ultra-left Portland, Oregon. Really looking out for the darlings. But speaking of that, R. Kelly. Oh, yes, R. Kelly. That great celebrity of color who has been a rhythms and blues artist, supposedly. Hip-hop, rap artist who has been raping, been a serial rapist. For decades of minor age girls and has been allowed to get away with it. New federal charges were just brought against him in Chicago. And they were concerning his having, they say, sexually abused, raped another minor age girl for four years, starting in 1997. And of the various underage girls that he's been charged with sexually abusing, this one is identified as minor six, as in minor number six. That's six of them that they have charged him with doing this to. He's a big, strong moose of a guy. And it showed one story that I saw showed a couple of his girlfriends. In another story, 
that I saw concerning previous charges showed a white woman who was, I don't know, (laughs) middle-age, maybe beyond middle-age, who was a fan of his and was, oh, anyway. But these two women that were shown were women of color, beautiful, desirable women. But he has a taste for minor age girls, this R. Kelly. Just why is it that the United States Federal Bureau of Intelligence, Department of Justice, local police departments, and what have you, haven't hammered him, nailed him, put him away for life long, long, long ago. Why is that? But he's a celebrity, and he is regularly moving about, which makes it kind of tough on the local police, but not on the FBI. But they have more important things to do. But speaking of that demographic, people of color, Joe Biden, as he headed back to South Carolina, as he left New Hampshire behind, knowing that the battle there was lost, he headed to a rally in South Carolina to pander to blacks, to pander to African Americans. Quote, Up till now, we haven't heard from the most committed constituency in the Democratic Party, the African-American constituency, end quote. He said in Columbia, South Carolina. The most committed, are you kidding? The most enslaved. For decades and decades, the Democrat Party has ferried multitudes of black voters that wouldn't have otherwise voted to the polls. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. What's wrong with that if they don't have transportation? I'm not talking about that for voters that don't have transportation. I mean people that wouldn't vote, didn't care to vote, but they got out the vote. The good old get-out-the-vote. Operations and have used hook and crook inducements to get them to vote. Oh, they wouldn't do that. Oh, yes, they would. Yes, they have forever. The black demographic, the African American demographic, has been enslaved by the Democrat Party. For decades and decades and decades and decades, going back to the infamous carpetbaggers. It was the party of enslavement. It is the party of enslavement. It has been the party of enslavement. Which has (laughs) managed to enslave... (laughs) 99% of the black voters, some incredible thing. 
But on the flip side of that, the Democrat Party has also been staunchly supported by Jews. Not just former mayors, but by Jews across this nation. Amazing. The Jewish demographic has been, and I imagine still is, the most highly educated group in this nation. Now it is possible that other groups may be giving them a run for their money now, such as from Asia, from India in Asia, from Oriental Asia. It's possible. But I doubt it. But it's not to say that they aren't trying. But the Jewish population, the most highly educated demographic in contrast with the black demographic, and yet both completely enslaved by the Democrat Party. Just extraordinary. But Joe Biden is counting on them. Lots of luck, Joe. Meanwhile, what else did Joe say about this core group of voters? He said the following, and this may have been a misquote. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but stated, quote, it is important that Joe Biden is speaking, not me, but, <laughs> quote, it is important that Iowa and Nevada have spoken. But look, we need to hear from Nevada and South Carolina and Super Tuesday and beyond, end quote. Now, he supposedly said that in Columbia, South Carolina. So he either misspoke and called New Hampshire, Nevada, once, or it was a typographical error. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, aren't you? (laughs) But we need to hear from Nevada and South Carolina and Super Tuesday and beyond. Yes, absolutely we do. Not just Iowa and New Hampshire, of course. South Carolina being the first state where there will be a solid majority of black voters voting in the Democrat primary. A huge majority. Dear Joe, he went on to say that 99.9% of the black voters, have not yet had a chance to vote. And he said that 99.8% of Latino voters had not had that chance. He went on to go further and say this. Quote, I have said, he said, I've said, many times you can't be the nominee. You can't win the general election as a Democrat unless you have the overwhelming support of black and brown voters, end quote. Hence, the necessity to pander to them, the necessity to demagogue endlessly. Latino 
Well, what's really meant by that? Really? <laughs> it's a term that is incredibly inaccurate, nonspecific, and what have you. But anyway, dear Joe, he's going to keep on. He's going to press on. He's going to campaign in Nevada, where the caucuses are on the 22nd of February, George Washington's birthday. And then on to South Carolina for the primary on February 29th. And then on to the Super Tuesday states on March 3rd. So, one final quote from Joe. From old Joe, quote, too often speaking to black voters. Too often your loyalty, your support, your commitment to this party have been taken for granted. And I give you my word as a Biden. I never, ever, ever will, end quote. Isn't that a funny thing to say? I give you my word Not just I give you my word, but I give you my word as a Biden. So the Bidens, you know, his ancestors are famous for, I don't know, for what? For keeping their word or for pandering and demagoguing? I don't know. But meanwhile, meanwhile, Nevada's caucuses come up first. Oh, heavy Mexican vote there, heavy union force there. But unfortunately for Joe, Nevada's most powerful union has decided not to make an endorsement. The 60,000-member culinary union, which culinary, you might be thinking, well, that's a bunch of chefs. (laughs) This is for the casino workers. Strange. Strange name. But So that decision hurts Joe Biden. He has long ties to this union. And he really needed some help and needs some help in Nevada to help him rebound. But not happening, Uh, at least not in terms of union endorsement. Meanwhile, former Oh, great man of the Senate, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, who's terrible, who's a terrible senator, (sighs) fought tirelessly for evil, but he is suffering with cancer, and he has stated that he will not endorse any candidate before These caucuses have run their course before there are the conclusions from the caucuses. Again, bad news for Buddy, for Pal, for longtime associate Senator Joe Biden. Sorry, Joe. What's friendship good for anyway? Meanwhile, I'm sure you heard about, you've heard much about Elizabeth Warren, Senator Liz Warren, who proudly stated that she accepted a campaign donation, a contribution from a young woman college student 
who told her that she only had $6 in her bank account. Now, it might seem extraordinary that Liz would, you know, say something like that, but I think what it was about was this. She was trying to shame the people into giving to her, saying, if this poor girl who only has $6 to her name can give me a contribution, what about you? You with deep pockets, give, give, give till it hurts. I think that's what she was trying to say. But what a faux pas, right? Good work, Liz. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.